Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Hope you're safe and well. Lots going on today. We're going to be talking with the Association of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture about this dicamba situation. I'm sure you've heard EPA now saying it will allow growers and applicators to use existing stocks of the three dicamba herbicides that the the court ruled uh, to decertified. They can use those existing stocks until July 31st. We'll be talking about that with Max Moncaster with the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. We're going to talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Rabo AgriFinance, and we're going to get both a, a harvest, that's right, still a harvest, and a planting update from the state of North Dakota coming up a little bit later on in the program as well. But we're going to kick things off with Richard Fordyce, Administrator for the Farm Service Agency. Richard, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. It's always good to be with you. Well, I want to get an update. Uh, how is CFAP sign-up going, and uh, how much has been sent out already? Well, you know, we knew that this program was going to be highly anticipated after the Secretary's announcement, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, you know, we initiated sign-up on the 26th of May, the day after Memorial Day, and and we did see, you know, just a lot of response from producers, um, you know, across the different categories, whether that be non-specialty, specialty, livestock, or dairy. And, uh, and you know, our offices um, are are open, just not open to producers. Um, so that interaction and, and the service that, that the agency is providing to producers is kind of from a remote perspective. Having said all of that, um, uh, as of yesterday, uh, the the total dollars paid to farmers already is 1.4 billion, um, and that has um, uh, gone to uh, just a touch over 80,000 farmers. Um, so you know, I think that you know, again, given our operating status and and you know the inability for for producers to personally come into the office. You know, that's a pretty good number. Um, uh, Livestock, from a category perspective, livestock kind of leads the pack um, with the most applications and the most dollars, followed by non-specialty crops, um, dairy right behind that, and then specialty crops um, um, as the final one. So, uh, you know, really, I you know, I really believe that the the response from from producers has been has been great. I think the response from the agency and the ability to to administer the program has been great. Um, and so, you know, we're we're real happy, especially since you know the program came together very quickly. Um, and you know, we just um, you know, with the inability for us to have that personal interaction with producers at this time. You know, really good progress in my mind. You have producers that this may be the first time they've signed up for a, a government program. What have been some of the challenges getting that done? So um, you're right, and you know, obviously, maybe in the non, maybe in the specialty category, and in some cases, the livestock category, we are seeing customers for the first time. Um, you know, we held a couple of webinars. We have a call center up. 
um, to answer questions. Uh, we've done a good bit of outreach to different uh, external stakeholder groups and kind of instructing them on how to talk to their membership. Um, certainly, obviously, Mike, uh, the agriculture media, you know, you've done a great job in helping us amplify that message um, to folks that haven't been um, a customer of ours in the past and how do you participate and what are the things that you're going to need um, to participate. And so um, a lot of communication, uh, a lot of effort into communication to, to really target it at our customers that we've not seen before. Um, and so obviously, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's going well. Um, you know, we get, we still get some questions, um, but we're able to answer those and be able to serve those producers, you know, when, when they do contact an office or the call center. Have you made any decisions on expanding the program, letting some other uh, commodities in that didn't, that weren't in, uh, when it was originally announced? Right. Um, well, just, uh, just a little bit of background on that. When we announced the commodities that were in the program initially, those were commodities that either USDA's chief economist or others, you know, were able to capture data um, to, to, to really um, demonstrate a price loss or value loss of 5% or more. Um, so we, we've instituted the NOFA process, Notice of Funds Availability, and that's a process by which folks can submit documentation to support inclusion into the program. We have not made any decisions at this point, um, but we continue to analyze that data. And, you know, as soon as we have an opportunity to, you know, to really digest that data, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of check it out, um, you know, I, I, I'm confident we'll be adding some. Um, from a timeline standpoint, I would think that would be fairly soon. Uh, the NOFA comment period closes the 22nd of June. Um, and so certainly that information needs to be in um, by then. Um, but we are, we're analyzing data that we have already received. And so I would think that uh, inclusion of additional commodities, um, those kind of announcements will be coming, uh, coming fairly soon. But nothing, no decision has been made at this point. How long does it take once the producer calls in and gets signed up before the money gets to the producer? Well, Mike, it's pretty quick, and, and, you know, in some cases we're saying a couple, three days. In some cases it may be a week. Um, you know, the, the, the process is pretty streamlined. Once we get, uh, once we get the numbers uh, to populate the application from the producer, uh, the application is approved, it's sent to our payment system. You know, that happens, that happens very quickly. I've had some some personal um, touches from friends across the country who have indicated it was a very short period of time um, after they got their numbers in and the, and the application was approved. Um, so we're pretty happy um, there. Um, so uh, I can't say specifically it's one day or five days or seven days, but it is uh, in, in almost every case, it's very quick. Okay, so 1.4 billion sent out already out of 16 billion. Got a ways to go. We'll stay in touch and get more updates. Thanks, Richard. Good to talk with you. Good to talk with you, Mike, and appreciate the opportunity, and we definitely want to keep you all updated on where we are. Okay, very good. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Richard Fordyce, FSA Administrator, with an update on how the CFAP program is going, the sign-up and distribution of that assistance. All right, lots of questions around uh, the dicamba situation. EPA did 
take action yesterday, now saying they will allow growers and applicators to use existing stocks of the three dicamba herbicides that the courts ruled were decertified. Uh, you can use those stocks of those three until July 31st. We'll have some more details and reaction next from the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, lots going on, lots of questions with the dicamba situation. Joining us now is Max Moncaster, Associate, Associate Director of Public Policy for the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Last time I talked to you, Max, you were with NCBA. Congratulations on the new job. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, glad to be here and um, certainly miss riding to the brand with the cattlemen, but I'm excited to be with uh, with NASA as well. Well, it's good to catch up with you. All right, let's kind of sort through this because we had a situation, the Ninth Circuit Court decertifying those three dicamba herbicides, but we had some states saying don't use them anyway, uh, others, others saying you could use them. Everyone was kind of waiting for EPA to do something. Would they appeal it? We're waiting to see about that. But what they have ruled is that growers and applicators can use existing stocks of those three herbicides until July 31st. But it also said it was canceling the registrations of the herbicides. So uh, kind of take us through this just to clarify, where are we now on, on this dicamba issue? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. And I know there's a lot of uncertainty out there in, in farm country. Um, I think, you know, the top priority for everybody in the industry right now is just to make sure we can find a way to get folks through this growing season. Obviously, the timing of this ruling was really, really unfortunate. Um, but we do, I feel like EPA has given us some some good guidance, a little bit to move forward um, through July 31st, as you mentioned. We're still reviewing the order and still trying to think through what our longer-term strategy is going to be uh, for that. So I think right now we've got essentially what I would describe as a little bit of breathing room, but we still need to figure out something more long-term that can get us through 2020. But while that's good news for those growers, there's still some kind of questions here, uncertainty about where we go from here once uh, we get past this. What, what, is, what do we know about uh, is EPA going to actually appeal that decision you think because uh, a lot of questions about where we go in the future with dicamba absolutely yeah we're still waiting on some um, some guidance and understanding of where epa will go i think they're probably huddled up right now with their legal teams um they have, they have to work really closely with the department of justice as well and so unfortunately um as you probably know it, things don't always happen at the speed of light here in dc there's a lot of different opinions that need to get um, integrated and a lot of different regulations that need to be kind of considered. So we're not sure. I think hopefully um, we'll see some sort of, uh, of move towards giving folks the ability to use these types of tools um, that they've, they've come to, to depend on. But um, we're still not 100% clear where EPO will take it. I think we didn't see any, any specific um, word from them in the press release and the, and the guidance released yesterday. It's not uncommon because they don't want to necessarily give away their legal strategy and they might be thinking it through themselves. But um, 
yeah, it's it's uh, you know past 2020 in this growing season. There's still a lot of uncertainty on on what's going to be possible. So when we look at this ruling, it, you know, stocks on hand, but then there's some questions about even the timing on that, right? I mean, it, that came out yesterday, which was June 8th, but it had the June 3rd cutoff date after some states had authorized the continued sale and use of those products through yesterday. So uh, we still kind of have some questions about timing on all this. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the timing is a big question to your point. And um, June 3rd is obviously the date of the ruling, which is why they, the order kind of references that. But there's a lot of, not a lot of clarity on what, what position that puts folks in and how that can work with the states. You know, one of the biggest risks that we see as well is not necessarily EPA, but um, even if, if you're in a position where a state has authorized use, but federally it was it was disallowed, that might open up producers to some civil liability or, or lawsuits down the road too. So it's certainly not a not a great position for folks to be in. Uh, we don't like having a patchwork of of rules across different states. Um, so that's why we're we're trying to figure out something federally that can that can apply across the board. But um, yeah, it, it's still a little bit unclear how they're going to try and enforce this this order and what that'll look like for the folks who have already bought that camera and have it, you know, in their possession or, or the retailers who have it in stock and, and need to get out the door. We're talking with Max Boncaster, Associate Director of Public Policy for the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Max, it does differ from state to state, right? The interpretation of the ruling was different and then the the authority the certification authority kind of differs state to state as well on this. It does. It does. And that, that was one of the things we saw as soon as this ruling came out. You know, you had a flurry of, um, of, of folks in the agriculture departments going to their attorneys generals in their state and trying to get legal opinions and rulings on what this meant for them. You know, initially there was some hope that the ruling, because it was in the Ninth Circuit, would only apply to that region. But... Um, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that this was a, a ruling on the overall authorizing legislation, um, which goes by the acronym FIFRA, and so it does apply nationwide. I think some states have tried to figure out how to navigate that and walk that fine line, um, but again, it's, it, it definitely produces a lot of legal risk for producers uh, in different places. And, and again, that, that patchwork is also hard for folks to, to deal with um, and, and figure out how to navigate so we have the Center for Biological Diversity saying that they will ask the court to enforce its clear order instructing farmers not to use dicamba on their crops, period. So there's still legal challenges to this. Absolutely. This is, this is I think, um, the, the start of a process and certainly not the end. I'm sure a lot of producers of these products as well, um, the companies will, will want to challenge this too. And we also saw a flurry of letters come into the EPA from Folks like the American Farm Bureau Federation, National Farmers Union, um, ag retailers, and the commodity groups. So there's certainly no shortage of opinions out there on this, and um, it's going to be the start of a, a longer legal battle, I think, to your point. So that's why, again, I, you know, I keep emphasizing we're just trying to figure out a way to get folks through this 2020 growing season. I mean, there's a lot of products and, and crops already in the ground that are dependent on this particular trait. So um, we, we've got to figure that out, that short-term solution out first, and then think about a longer-term a legal strategy going down the line. Well, depending on how this plays out legally, is there any concern about those crops uh, that that Canva's already been used on as far as the being able to sell them at harvest time? 
Yeah, it's a great question. One we can kind of work through. Um, the overall uh, feeling is no, that, you know, if, if, if this is if it'd be a retroactive order, there's no real risk if you've already applied. But the problem, as you probably know, Mike, is that this isn't something that can be substituted very easily. You know, when you go out and you buy seed, you buy it with a specific trait so that can be tolerant to a specific type of, of product. Uh, you can't just go down the other, you know, to the store and find a separate product that you can apply there. So um, it's not necessarily going to be retroactively uh, problematic. You know, if you've already used it, you're not exposing yourself to liability. But what does it mean for your yield if you can't use it going forward and for the rest of the duration of the growing season? So that's really the big concern is just that the yield will be um, diminished quite quite severely. Yeah, all this happening in the middle of a growing season really makes it difficult. It does. It does. You know, and that's the thing that, that uh, I know some of our members have felt pretty strongly about is you know, no matter how you feel about dicamba, it's just terrible, terrible timing. And it kind of stacks up on a lot of other challenges that the agriculture industry was already facing, whether it was some of the trade disruptions we've been seeing or uh, obviously the COVID-19 uh, impacts that have really impacted the entire food and agriculture value chain. So this is another another big blow to folks. And um, I, I know that it's, it's not a encouraging sign, but we're glad to see that EPA and, and our friends uh, in the federal government are, are trying to figure out a solution that can get us to where we need to be. Yeah, EPA estimating that approximately 4 million gallons could be in the trade channels. There's a ton, ton, ton of volume out there already. I mean, it's, you know, I, I heard some stories from, uh, from out in the field that when this order came down, I mean, there, there were trucks ready to start spraying, you know, already. And so it definitely threw a lot of folks for a loop trying to figure out how they could manage it. Um, you know, we saw EPA put out a pretty general statement um, the day after it happened and just say that they were looking for all options. We were glad to see some a little more specificity yesterday come out uh, with some guidance. But, yeah, ter- terrible timing. And, and like we talked about, you know, it's, it's hard when folks have, have already bought these, their seed and their product all in a bundle and they're ready to go and they want to have a good year. Um, this is just another another big blow. Well, for EPA, they moved pretty quickly on this, but as we said, there are more questions and more uh, probably legal battles ahead, so we'll see how this plays out. And, Max, uh, we'll stay in touch with you. Thank you very much. Good to talk with you again. Yeah, you as well, Mike, and um, certainly look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, take care. Max Moncaster, Associate Director of Public Policy for the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. So again, EPA will allow growers and applicators to use existing stocks of those three dicamba herbicides that the courts decertified. Can still use them until July 31st, but EPA said it is canceling the registrations of those herbicides and that the growers and commercial applicators may use the existing stocks that were in their possession on June 3rd. Such use, though, must be consistent with the product's previously approved label and may not continue after July 31st. We'll continue to keep you up to date on this. All right, up next, we'll talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Let's talk with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Robo AgriFinance. Steve, we just did a segment on uh, the dicamba situation. Just one more thing to to add to 2020. What a year. I mean, it's just one thing after another. 
Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, yes, just seeing that last week, you're like, oh, is exactly just one more thing. I mean, you you start and it's, you know, I, you know, farmers have been through what two, you know, two years of tough springs. This spring, of course, is a little bit better, but then you know, low prices and tariffs, wars, and and back and forth, and coronavirus now, and you know, livestock folks have certainly that's been tough, tough on them. And then you get the dicamine, and it's just one more thing. And and now it appears, looking at you know, at least rooting kind of the back and forth is that if you're a producer, I, I'm not sure if I was a producer. And I had dicamba beans in the field. I'm not sure whether I can use it or not. Um, you know, the original rulings indicate that if you had dicamba beans in the field, you couldn't use dicamba, period. And now you see EPA coming out and saying, well, yeah, you can use it if you've already purchased it. But there doesn't seem to be a clear direction from anybody right now. At least that's my read of it. And and that would be frustrating yeah, there's still as well. More to come. What do I do? Yeah, exactly. There's, be yeah, more there's to still come some uncertainty here. Absolutely. Um, meanwhile... The planting <laughs> numbers are good. Uh, crop conditions, for the most part, good. Uh, prices, not so good. Uh, it's hard to find something where you'd say, well, okay, this could be a, a rally. This could start a rally. I mean, I mean, what do you see out there that could spark some kind of an upturn in the market? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. I mean, you, it's it's. We'll just we'll we'll just call it what it is. It's depressing to to look at the futures every day and look at bases is a little bit helpful, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But it is hard to find that that silver lining of that bright spot. Um, you know, I think there's a couple things to be watching, and that's kind of why I want to bring up bases first. You know, pay attention to your bases in your country. Surprisingly, when you look at bases across the corn belt, and I'm look I'm thinking corn, wheat, and so and and soybeans as well. Um, you know, it once we got through the ethanol, I'm going to call it the ethanol, I don't know what you want to call it, collapsed there for a while, and it's coming back. Yeah. Um, you've seen basis levels stabilize, and in some cases are above where they were a year ago levels. And and so I think that's the first indicator I'd be watching is, and, and also think about that's where you do your marketing is on your basis. You know, futures will do what they're going to do, and that's just the way it's going to be. So I think basis is a real key, and that kind of gets to the next point about soybeans. We were talking um, around, uh, we had a global call early this morning, uh, as one of my old bosses called O-Dark 100, uh, with the global grain and oilseeds team. And, and I think soybeans are something to watch because Brazil, for all practical purposes right now, is, is kind of out of soybeans. I mean, they've, they've shipped a tons and tons of soybeans to China. So if China or anybody else, and I mean anybody else around the world, needs soybeans, they're going to need to come to the United States right now. Um, and the good news is, if you're a buyer, you know, Chinese or U.S. soybeans are cheaper than even are cheaper to China right now than Brazilian soybeans, even with the tariff. And so that that's a bit of a bright spot and something to watch. Again, watching basis to see both at the Gulf and at your local basis, when you start to see it tick up, that's an indicator that there's, probably, there's potentially buying behind it. Now, the one caveat to that is we don't know what Chinese stocks are. You know, they've talked about this pause. Now, it's for state-owned enterprises, not for private enterprises. So, you know, China, in talking to, you know, to LEAF this morning as well, you know, Chinese crushing margins are good. So if you're a private crusher in, in China and you need beans, you're going to come to the United States because you've got good margins, and you're, why wouldn't you do that? 
So I think that's one bright spot to be paying attention to as well. Um, I think the other thing is, of course, watch the weather in the Black Sea in Europe, uh, particularly for wheat folks. Uh, the good news is it has been dry there. Uh, now, the Black Sea did get some rain over the last couple of weeks and has made quite a bit of improvement there, and they will be aggressive exporters. Europe is forecast to get rain the next couple of weeks in that northern France, Germany, the big wheat-producing areas, and so they're hopeful that that, will, that that will help their wheat crop. But I think, you know, again, something to watch very carefully, and if you get into a couple, three days and that forecast changes there, you know, the wheat market could see a little bit of a rally uh, thinking that you know buyers will have to come to the U.S. to buy wheat going forward. So this is a this is a market of nuances that you have to watch for the little things that happen because those may be your your one opportunity to get some marketing done and get it done. I think the other bright spot is when we we did some work um, in the past couple of weeks looking at soybeans and this is primarily in the Northern Plains and you start looking at soybean prices um, in the Northern Plains and cost of production up there. Uh, they're pretty on par with each other. So there, there is also potential opportunities if we see another rally in beans, which we've, you know, we've seen some um, nice moves the last couple weeks, um, or the last week, uh, there may be some opportunities there to market beans at break even. And that's, I hate to say that break even, but, you know, right now, again, it's a nuance. What can you do to make it, uh, make your business work together? And I think we have to finish and say, you know, the government, there's a lot of money coming toward farmers through PLC ARC program, income protection crop insurance, and also to the CFAP program. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance. It's a good point. We knew all along when we were looking at this year in trade with China that even with the phase one trade deal, that early on they were still going to be buying from South America. But as you point out, now that we're past that, now it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. It's just hard to get a handle on still what they need at this point, isn't it? Yeah, it is extremely difficult, but I refer back to my, my colleague, Lee Chang, in Shanghai. You know, the, he says, when in talking to him about that, and, and I think it is, I'm not going to say it's a well-accepted fact at this point that Chinese probably won't meet their 2020 obligations dollar-wise in the phase one, but let's set that aside for the moment. But he said, when you look at the Chinese and what they need right now, um, or what they're going to need, is soybeans in the fourth quarter. And that is our, one of our traditional times when we're going to move a lot of soybeans to China. And so that's going to be a real, that's going to be a big move this year, particularly if crush margins stay, stay healthy. The other big need is pork. Now, I believe in both cases, <clears throat> both soybeans and pork, they have built stocks to get them through this pause, if you have it. And, and as he said to me very, very, uh, I think very aptly, he says, the Chinese have time to wait. And I think that's the thing we have to remember. You know, they don't need anything right now. This is a well-timed negotiation uh, move on their part. They can pause. They can make that known. Uh, They can, you know, they can rattle some swords. They can rattle some, (laughs) rattle some uh, folks at the same time and take a pause and not have a lot of, not a lot of change or a lot of concern right now. But once we get into that late third quarter, fourth quarter, they're going to have to come back to the trough. And that's probably going to be for soybeans and pork right off the bat. You know, one of the things that's gotten lost in all the headlines of COVID and and George Floyd um, and the Chinese situation is ASF. ASF is still alive and well in China and still a problem. And so that's not going away as well. And I think, as again, that's gotten lost in, in a lot of the other headlines that we've all been concerned about. And not that any of those that we should not be concerned about. 
but the fact is that's still there and we've kind of it's kind of gotten pushed to the back of the back of the bus so to speak okay we're starting to see some recovery for the ethanol industry still a long ways to go but if that continues to build what impact does that have on the corn market oh it's huge um you know if we could get back you know we're we are making progress we do see gasoline supply to the market continue to climb we saw we've seen a couple dip back but the fact is it's still moving in the right direction that's a that will be a, a massive influx to the corn market it probably is not going to affect futures all that much and i hate to say that but i think you have to look at the basis because that's where you know that really had the most impact when you look at the ethanol was on the basis levels when you saw basis levels in northeast iowa drop 40 cents overnight um you know that's a pretty big that's a that's a lot of money so if we see that when we see ethanol come back it'll come back in your basis and so i think that's the part to wait you know it's hard to predict it's hard to forecast it's hard to think about what you know what is the summer vacation season look like you know does that mean people aren't flying does that mean people are driving more are people staying home more is there going to be less driving i mean you know at least here in st louis traffic is certainly picked up um and i think that's that's a good news for the for the ethanol industry, but I think we have to remember too, and not not to get too short sighted, is that you know ethanol was struggling before we got into COVID and the and lockdowns and stay at home orders and things like that, um, and so it's going to be struggling on the way out as well. And, and I think that's the that's the key is but is to think about what is that future. So I think there's definitely going to see some consolidation in the ethanol industry. We'll see ethanol facilities, ethanol business in stronger hands. Uh, and we've been through this cycle before. Ethanol, you know, kind of runs the same cycle as the as the petroleum industry or the crude oil industry. You know, that the boom and the bust. And so we've we've had the bust, and now we're we're on repair, moving back up. So I think that's a good thing. But look for it in your bases. It's probably not going to impact futures too much because futures is looking at that balance sheet and saying, "Boy, we have a lot of corn in stock, and we have to do something to clear clear the market." And so futures will stay relatively. Um, under pressure yeah, still a lot to deal with for sure steve thanks as always yeah, we appreciate absolutely. the update no problem great to talk to you mike take care you too steve nicholson grain and oil seeds analyst for rabo agrifinance all right coming up next not only a planting progress report from the state of north dakota but we're still getting reports on harvesting of last year's crop in North Dakota. Where does that stand? How much is there still to do? What's the quality of that uh, corn? We'll talk about that when we come back. We're going to talk with North Dakota farmer Monty Peterson up next here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, here we are into June, so we'll be talking, wrapping up planting, and we're talking about conditions of crops, how they're looking, how the stands look, and things like that. But in North Dakota, we're still still talking about harvest from last year's crop. Let's talk with Monty Peterson, who farms in eastern North Dakota. Monty, thank you for joining us. Do you still have harvesting to be done? Well, I do, Mike. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I've still got some corn crop out there. How much? 
Uh, we're down to uh, just a few hundred acres uh, to go here yet. Uh, we, we just got started back on that uh, uh, on that uh, process here last Friday. Um, managed to get a, a couple of fields completed and uh, and received. Uh, of course, we've had some rain here uh, starting sun- Sunday night, and uh, it's currently raining today. And uh, we've had a little over an inch of precip, so uh, I'm not sure when we'll get back at that again here, but uh, it'll take a little while. Is this the latest you've ever had to wait to finish a harvest? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, in 40 years, the only other time that I can think of was, uh, I think it was the spring of 2010 when we had, uh, you know, a quarter or two of corn that we just simply couldn't get off uh, in the fall of 2009. But, uh, you know, we, we harvested uh, at that time, I think it was in March of that year, had an earlier spring and uh, got that harvested and, you know, still planted the, every, every acre. So, you know, that wasn't much of an issue compared to this year. What's the condition of, of that crop that you're harvesting now? What's the quality like? Well, of course, we've, uh, we've suffered with some uh, lighter test weight uh, with with the 2019 crop because it struggled to, to finish and reach maturity. But uh, currently we're, uh, you know, we're harvesting all uh, 11% moisture corn and uh, 52 pounds. Um, actually, it, it looks pretty decent. Uh, it's surprising that a crop can stay out in the field that long and still, uh, still be that good. Of course, We've got uh, some lodged uh, areas now with, with some varieties. Uh, you know, one variety I think I have in particular that kind of uh, well, didn't like standing 365 days out there in the field. But, uh, you know, it'll be a little slower to get the rest of it off. But we're still, um, it's amazing that we're able to harvest the yields that we are here yet at this late of date. Yeah, we we often talk about on-farm storage. You have in-field storage still. Yeah, I uh, I didn't get to maximize my on-farm storage because uh, we ended up leaving it in the field. Uh, you know, we just it was one of those deals where uh, last uh, fall we got rains, uh, it just didn't want to quit. We ended up finishing uh, soybean harvest uh, after the ground was froze. But by the time uh, we got the soybeans off, uh, and of course that was after a October snowfall that we had to wait for that to melt down, then the ground to freeze up, then we got soybeans harvested, only to uh, the end of December and still faced with uh, 30 plus moisture corn. And, uh, and then, of course, the temperatures dropped to the point where you know, it was just uh, we were fighting a losing battle, and, and you know the decision to we're just going to have to leave it until spring. So the quality and test to... weights, the quality and test weights, you said it's not too bad, all things considered. How much yield do you lose waiting this long? Well, I think where we've lost yield is around the perimeters of the fields where the snow had drifted in, and uh, you know really uh, laid the corn down tight to the ground. Um, obviously, we've uh, lost uh, 10 to 15 percent, uh, I would guess, in uh, total yield production. So, uh, 
um, yeah, there's there's losses. There's no doubt there's losses. But uh, amazingly enough, I am uh, I'm I'm uh, you know happy with the fact that uh, we've had good shank strength. So the cobs have held well onto the stocks. The stocks have been uh, pretty healthy to stand all of this, uh, you know, all these weather events. And for the most part, uh, you know, uh, it turned out as well as uh, it could in, in such a problematic uh, harvest. So where are you on planting this year's crop? Well, we uh, we kind of got to the point where, uh, like last Thursday, we, we had planted just about uh, everything that we could get across that we could uh, uh, keep from uh, keep from going stuck in. And... Uh, uh, my corn acres are way down uh, from where I had intended or wanted to be, uh, but we, but my soybean acres are about where we had intended now. So where does that put me overall? I'm probably, uh, you know, I'm probably going to end up around uh, 40% of the total farm as prevent plant this year. Hmm. 40%. I mean, it's got has to be frustrating. You're you're looking out there. You're unable to plant this year's crop, and you're still looking at some of last year's in the field. Oh well, yeah, I guess it, you know it does get frustrating, and then you you got to just step back and you got to realize, well, what what can you do? Uh, I mean, there, there isn't really anything you can do about it. So, uh, other than to just take it day by day and do the best that you can, and uh, put the crop in uh, where you can, and uh, harvest when you can. You know, some, uh, somehow we'll get through this. Uh, I think that I recognized early on last fall with the amount of precipitation that we received that, uh, you know, the spring of 2020 was really going to be a challenge. And I think that, uh, you know, my focus back then and what needs still to be my focus today is that we get things in order for right. a successful 2021. Well, we wish you the best, Monty. Thanks for the update. Yeah, you're welcome. Good luck. North Dakota farmer Monty Peterson. All right, that wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone.